everything fights against us. Why do we keep going? I look forward, and at times I'm very excited about what God is doing and what I can fabricate with my heart and my own thoughts and what I read out of Scripture. And other times I look and I become very fearful and apprehensive and what's going to happen, and I don't know what to do. Before I forget, not many of you probably, I'm looking around, there is no, there is no youth tonight. Chad would encourage all youth kids to be here as we send Jeanette away with a nice evening. And so there will be no youth. So before I forget, I saw miracles sitting there, and I just it reminded me to say that. But sometimes I look forward and I go, well, I get I get to the point where I'm I'm like, wow, what, where, where are we going? What are we What are we doing? And and what what can be? And my heart pulsates. Anybody ever been there? Have you looked at, have you looked at what's, what's going on in your own life? What, what, what God might be stirring ahead? What might be happening? And you don't, do you, do you feel excitement, but almost, almost at the same time, you go like, oh my goodness, what does that mean? Anybody do that? In those moments, we've got to be like, Sam's my favorite guy in the whole Lord of the Rings mess, man. He's my favorite dude. He's the most, least likely of heroes. He's the least qualified, the least capable, the least talented. He's the least of everything. But something, something, he has something that a lot of the rest of them lack maybe. And he has this thing called a heart that just beats and pounds to get done what needs to get done. I, I would like to be Sam, but like all the rest of us, all of us need a Sam somewhere in our lives. To remind us what we're doing that remind us where we're going, that remind us that things, when I, when I get in those things where the apprehension and the frustration and, and all that begins to overwhelm me and overtake me, there's a, there's a piece of scripture that, 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 that busts me in the chops. Isaiah 60 comes in to, to focus in my, on my viewfinder. I've seen a couple, I've, I've been approached by a couple people. Some of you have, some of you have, I'm not going to use that scripture. I mean, you don't have to worry about turning there. It's not, like I, I saw Garnet, Garnet with a tablet this morning, a little digital tablet, and, and Rod asked me if our stuff is still up there even after we're done and can we get to it. And so, you know, I, 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 I start thinking in terms like that. Uh, when, 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 when I, my, my brain kind of looks at things like that. Isaiah 60 comes, comes, comes into focus with me when things get like that because the first words of Isaiah 60 are, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Gross darkness covers the people, but not so you. My light shines upon you. And then the rest of the chapter, honestly, in the middle, in the middle of Bible college, my first semester of Bible college, I was trying to determine, is this really what you want me to do? Is this what I want? And I was sitting in the sanctuary of my old church. I was actually knelt down, huddled, kind of like hiding from anybody and everybody because I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was sitting in there behind the pulpit late on a Saturday night. And as I was just kind of trying to get my mind around all of it, those, I opened the Bible and those scriptures come to life, those words right there. And ever since that point, over 20 years ago now, every time I feel myself getting like that, I remember those words. We have, a, have something to hang on to. He's, he talks about there being good in the world. 
Well, I don't necessarily give credence to that because I think the Bible tells us otherwise. But I do know this. There's this thing called the gospel. And there's this thing called the truth of the scriptures. And there's this thing called the, called the kingdom of God over which he rules. And that absolutely is worth fighting for. And when I start thinking about why I should, what I should do and why I should do it, when frustration and anger and all that sort of stuff tries to overtake my life and I want to throw in the towel, I remember there's this thing that's bigger than the earth and the things going in it, it's called the gospel. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it is absolutely worth me hanging on to. And even like this gentleman on the screen at the end of the clip going, if my life is forfeit, then it's forfeit. I got to do what I know I need to do. I missed you guys last week. I'm sorry, I might get loud and I might be crazy today because I got a bunch pent up in here right now, okay? I'm glad William was here to oversee the things and I heard he gave you a great word and I haven't got that word a couple of times this week from various places and I'm just kind of charged, okay? We're, we're in a new era, a new time, a new frame of life, and it's okay. It's different, and I know it's scary, and that's all right, though, too, okay? Because there's this thing we're supposed to walk in. It's called faith. And faith walks us into places where things aren't normal, where things aren't comfortable, where things aren't sure. If we could be sure, it wouldn't take faith because, you see, fear and faith kind of walk in the same, on the same path, Fear's on one side of the road, faith's on the other. If we didn't have an opportunity to fear, we wouldn't have an opportunity to walk in faith. And so we got to learn to walk that out. In the book of uh, Philippians, we're going to read there. We're going to start a series this week, this, this, this week. And for the next series, it's called The State of the Church. Okay? We're going to start there. And, and Leah, did a, Leah made that seal thing there. That's beautiful. And it just kind of represents the, the, the ministries of Church Triumphant. We'll, we'll let you figure out what they mean and all that stuff. You, you can maybe figure that out, but I'm not going to spend time to decipher all that for you. We must never lose sight of those things. We must never stop individually growing in the likeness and image of Christ. We must never stop trying to, 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 to pursue Jesus and our relationship with him. We cannot give in to status quo living and comfort and ease. We must always press forward and onward. In Philippians 3, the last half of, of verse 12, you find these words. But I press on. This is the what of our state. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. This word pressing on is kind of an odd word. This word pressing on means to pursue, to follow in haste, to press forward. This next one totally trips me out. It says to persecute. To systematically oppress and harass. To do something with an intense effort and the goal. When Paul says, I'm pressing, he's harassing himself. He's harassing the calling that God's setting for. He is pursuing it until he captures it. That's why the idea of persecution is attached to it. When somebody feels persecuted, they feel like they're being chased. They don't have any place to run, any place to turn, anywhere to go. They can't get away from it. And Paul says, I am pressing. I am, I am systematically and methodically. I am going after this thing that has captured me. 
The word vines dictionary uh, uh, says like this: the word to follow after, to press on, is an inadequate meaning. It, me, it, it says then to see the. If you want to get what it really means, see these words: see give, see persecute, see press. See, pursue. If you want to get a real meaning of what, I, what Paul's trying to say, I follow after that which for, that, I was, that, I, that I was captured for, one translation says. And, the, and he says, I'm pressing on. What he's saying is, look, man, I am giving it everything I got. I am systematically going through my life, and I am eliminating, I am moving, I am doing things to make sure I am not giving in. I can see him, like, clenching his teeth. For some reason, the gospel grabbed my heart, and I do not understand it because I am not worthy of what he, how much he loves me, how much he's given me, what he's done for me. But because I don't understand, that only causes me to pursue even more greatly. At one point, Paul would say, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Nobody's done more than I have, but for some reason, the grace of God is shed in my heart. The king has a move. His move was to save us. But you know what? His move isn't done. He's not done yet with us. We don't, not just supposed to get saved, show up at church, and that be the end of the story. The story is yet to be written. The story is, has pages yet to be filled. And the what of this is we are called to press, to press on, to, to follow hard after. I, I, I hope and pray it will be said of the people of Church Triumphant what, what was written in Hebrews chapter 10. I hope we do not, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says this, that in due season you reap if you do not lose heart. In due season. Don't become faint, one translation says. I hope will be said of us, what said Hebrews 10, so do not throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come, and he will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. And the writer writes right here, but we are not like those who turn away. From God to their own destruction, we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. I pray as we start the new year, you already start right there. This is where I'm at, and this is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm going. The funny part is, Paul, if we, re, if we retrace a little bit in Philippians 3 where Paul starts, he says, I don't mean to say, here's the how of how we continue where God wants us to go. The what is we must press. The how is, this next, these next few pieces. Paul says back at the beginning of Philippians 3.12, the, the first part of it, I don't mean to say that I've already attained or achieved these things or that I've already re re reached perfection or maturity. And he goes on to say what we just read, but I press on. And in verse 13 he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If we're going to, to, if this ministry, this church, the church as a whole, not just church triumphant, if the church as a whole of Jesus Christ that exists on this planet is going to be what it needs to be, these next couple of things have to be absolutely true. 
We have to make a, a, a clear recognition of some things about us and about him, about the world around us. We need to consciously acknowledge what is going on in us and around us and what God has done for us. Can I tell you, can I, can I, give, can I give you an opportunity to, to, to acknowledge something on purpose? Sometimes maybe I don't do a good, a good enough job of, of telling stories like this. I know sometimes we think we're just this church out in the cornfield. Not even in, within the confines of Kingston or Hallsville. I don't know how you end up there. But we are. In the last four months, I've come into the office on various days. Walk in and Bethany goes, hey, there's some dude named Sean on the phone. Can you talk to him? Okay, now pick up the phone. Hey, I was wondering, man, I got some real, you know, I don't know, what, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure, and we start talking back and forth, and da-da-da-da-da, and I look up at the caller ID on the, on the phone on the, in the office, and I recognize the caller ID as being from around the place in Florida where I used to live. Yeah, Sean, what's going on? He said, well, we talked for a while, we I said, can I ask you a question? Where are you calling me from? And he says, Lando Lakes, Florida. Can I ask another question? Well, sure. How in the world did you come to call me today? Well, I saw your church on the web. And I realized you had a connection to Mickey Robinson. And I'm really trying to sort through some things. And I know of his ministry. And I just, I saw you there. And I just, and I, I just needed some help. And we prayed. It turns out he lives right around the corner from my best friend's church in Lando Lakes, Florida. Looking for some place to land to grow himself spiritually. Since then, I've had phone calls from India, Saskatchewan, Canada. People who, guess what? I've had people walk in this church in the last few months say, I've been listening to your message online. I had to see what was going on. Okay? A lady called from India. It just so happens she's just like 20 minutes away from a place where A. Stevens' ministry had just started a new work in a village. I sent her the email address of, and she found us online. She Googled something. Our church popped up. She was really in distress. She called me. We talked. We pray on the phone. You will never see her body sitting in a pew in this church. But the work of ministry and the growth of the kingdom yet goes on out of what goes on in this church. Over the last three months, not less that, but the last six weeks, I've had the opportunity to lead three different people to the Lord. One, a 74-year-old man who's dying from congestive heart failure who may never end up inside, but he's been here once for a men's breakfast, and yet Don Anderson and Brian and Ernie have all had ability to input into his life. His name is James. He lives in Circleville. I don't know that we'll ever see him, but I, I, I watched as time developed that things begin to happen, and I showed up at the, uh, that morning ordered by the Lord to be at that place, and he was just right for the pickings. I never led to my Lord's so easily in my entire life, I promise. In the last three weeks, you know what? You'll see this fellow running around. He was just sitting right here next to me. Over the last, in the last three weeks, on a Saturday night, my son and I were sitting in his room. And we have, con you can imagine, we have pretty constant conversations around Jesus and around the scriptures and, you know, all that sort of thing, you know. 
And we're sitting there, and he's, and, and if we have a conversation, you know, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, 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 to come to salvation, and, he, and he, he's a very analytical, processing little fella. Name's Caleb. And we've talked probably for six or eight months about his spiritual condition at six years old. And he goes, every time I'd ask him if he was ready to give his heart to Jesus, he's like, I don't think I'm ready. He would tell me that. I don't think I'm ready. About three weeks ago, on a Saturday night, we're having a conversation, sitting on the couch, just kind of random conversation. It, le- it ends up there because he starts saying some things, and I ask a couple questions, and I tell- explain to him the plan of salvation. He goes, well, okay. And we talked. I told him how, how, how it went. We, he went upstairs. Patrick showed up at the house. All of a sudden, I see his head leaning over top of my, the bookcase at my house. Okay? He's supposed to be in bed. It's late. Dad, can I say? And he's holding a Mr. Microphone in his hand. Now, I don't know what that means, but it, to me, that, to dad, that, that translates he wants to have fun. Wants to be goofy, which he has a tendency to do because, you know, he's my kid. He's got my gene pool in there. And so he says, oh, I said, if, if you're doing something silly, just go right back up and go back to bed. Oh, okay, Dad. And he turns on. I go upstairs after Patrick leaves. He goes, Dad, I want to tell Uncle Pat I became a Christian tonight. Well, he already gets it. And I said, let's, let's make sure you get this. Da-da-da. We went through it again. I said, are you ready for that? I said, when you start telling people that you are, you you got to start walking that thing out and living like that. And you got to, you know, you're, you, yes, Dad, I've thought about it. I want to do that. Okay. And so we made we made sure he understood. I want him a point to look back at when he, when he knew he got it right with Jesus. Happened to my daughter about the same age he is right now, sitting in the truck of my, the, 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 the cab of my truck when she was, I don't know how long old she was, curly-haired little girl, crying in the front seat of my car. And she points back that, and she knows that she knows that's when Jesus changed her life. I want Caleb to have that same moment. And then you know what? As soon as we got done talking about it, he runs downstairs. Mom, guess what? He tells Rachel. And then he runs downstairs. Girls, guess what? And he just can't believe it. You know, he's... But you know what happened just a few weeks? I mean, that's beautiful. And you're going, a six-year-old little boy really give me a break. Yeah, suffer young children to come unto me, okay? They start getting them, you let them walk with Jesus. You want, to, you want a reason to believe that? I'm looking at her right here. She started walking with Jesus a long time ago. She would write right now to do nothing more to be, on, be, be in Africa, on a mission field, working in an orphanage. If I let her go right now, she'd go in a minute. She wouldn't think nothing about it. And I, and I watch her live, and, and she blows me away. Anyway, I don't another thing. Right here, second service two weeks ago, right here where Tina and Dale are sitting. I give, the, I give the message. I say, listen, if anybody needs hope, Jesus is here to offer it. And there's a 20-something-year-old dude sitting right here. Tears flowing down out of his face. First time he'd ever been here. His name's Ryan. He's like, I want that hope, and I want it right now. I come back to talk to him. People were praying for other people around the room. I started praying. First time he ever been in a church. He had never heard the gospel ever in his entire life. And you know how they end up here? Because his girlfriend came to Harvest Fest back in October. They are friends with some of the Prestons. They know Jesse and Dick and Dina. And look, and he's sitting right there, never been in church, doesn't know anything about Jesus, and the gospel grabs his heart first day out the box. Patrick had a chance to do communion with him last week. I tell you that, you know why? Because we need to recognize and make an acknowledgement that there are some things going on 
that God is doing something. And he ain't quit, and we shouldn't either. But we should also recognize something. Those things should not make us, okay, that's good. We can just sit back and relax now. Those things should do what it did to Paul. And they, they should do this. We, me, you, us, we have not arrived yet. We are not done. The, 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 this, is, this is not finished. And here's another thing Paul recognized. Not only was he not done, he's writing scripture as he writes those words. I'll have you know that. He's writing a book that will appear in the Bible as he, as he thinks that thought, as he says that thing. And so if anybody had a reason to believe he might be, you know, have arrived, achieved, accomplished, became mature enough just to kind of sit back and relax, it's probably him, but he's not there. I'm not done yet. I have not arrived. I have not achieved. I'm not done. The other thing he said is, I am owned. We have to recognize that if we come to Christ and we take him up on his offer of salvation, our lives stop being our lives. He said, I'm seeking to possess that for which I've been possessed. Something grabbed a hold of him. We play games with our Christianity like we have something to do with it. Like we can have Jesus and work, or Jesus and our hobby, or Jesus and this, and Jesus and our 401k, and Jesus and, and all that's going to make our life good. No, listen to me. This is not just some, some random thought, fable, fairy tale written eons ago. This is the word of God. And if we think we can make decisions devoid of what God wants or desires for our life, we are missing the boat. And if we think we can just randomly come and go as we please and show up when we want to and blah, 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 and pray if we feel like it and fast if we feel like it and do it, then we are missing it. Paul says, I am possessed. Something's got a hold of me. I don't run nothing about my life. It runs me. It's called the word of God. And until we start treating it as such and we start giving it place, we are never going to be able to say we're truly pressing on. I'm sweating. My nose a little bit running too, so I'm scared of Nancy sitting in the front row. Yeah, things are different. Things are changing. Things have changed. But you know what? We got to go with it. Look through the scripture. God never stayed too stationary, man. I mean, Jesus, in, in the three years he did ministry, he was all over the place. Them boys following him didn't know where the next night was going to, going to be laying their head down. They didn't know what was going on. You know, one day they're fishing and all that kind of stuff. Next day they're running down. The, they left the nets, the boat, everything else is gone. And he's like, man, I am, follow me. Well, I want to go do this. No, don't go do that. Well, I got this going on. So Jesus would say, and sometimes we make it too easy for ourselves not really to be what Jesus wants to be. He wants all of us, not just a piece of us. We're, we are, the things you've got to recognize, you've got to constantly acknowledge that you have not arrived yet. It don't matter how long you've been in this thing. You're not there. I'm not there. We are not there, both as individuals and collectively. We're not there yet. And we, we are owned. We are owned. He paid a heavy price for us. It was red blood 
that flowed out of his hands, out of his feet, out of his side, out of his forehead. And if we think we can just play games with that, man, please give me a break. He says, I must recognize those two ideas. And he said, I got to focus. It means put everything unnecessary into the periphery. Bethany took a couple pictures of Rachel and I and our kids uh, a few weeks ago. One of my favorite pictures is this. It's a picture of our kids kind of in the foreground, and everything else back there is out of focus. And you you can see Rachel and I kind of in the background, just images of us. But everything unnecessary that picture is, is in the periphery. It's there, but it doesn't really make a difference. You understand what I mean? And we have to do that with our lives. The only things that are important have to become out of focus so the things that really matter come into focus. The things that really matter have to matter. The things that really make a difference have to be the things that motivate us. Lock in on what's really important. That's why you say I'm focused. I'm locked in on what's really important. Whether my tires get uh, a a nice clean down and get that shine stuff on them to make them look pretty like they just walked off the, isn't necessarily that important. And if you spend more time detailing that vehicle than you would praying or seeking the face of God or talking to your friend about Jesus, that thing's probably, it should be in the periphery and it's too much in focus and other things that should be in focus are out of focus. Are those things bad? No. But I know a lot of times we make excuses about why we do things and how much time we have and how much time we don't have and what we're doing and what we're not doing. We enter a new year, people make resolutions all the time. I'm not asking you to make a resolution. I'm asking you to give your life to the one who gave himself to you and for you. He says, I'm locking in. One way he does that, he says, I forget what's behind. Let me tell you something to you. 2012 is over. 2012 is done. What happened back there happened back there. It's back there. It's not today. Now, we may be feeling some of the effects of what happened in 2012, but if we stay feeling the effects of 2012, we stay locked in on them, they'll keep having their effects on us. We don't let go of things we've, we, that, that have been imparted into us spiritually. We don't let go of teaching. We don't let go of training. We don't let go of the word of God. We don't let go of those kinds. We don't let go of the love and the forgiveness and the grace that have been given to us in those moments, but doggone it, we don't keep a hold of the things that tear us down and wear us out. We forget temporary tactics and ways of doing things. We let go of we let go of hurt and we forget frustration. We forget traditionalism sometimes. I heard Chuck Swindoll say this a few years ago, and I thought it was one of the most amazing definitions because there's this all this, always always this balance in the church we're trying to keep between what we should keep, what we shouldn't keep, what's traditional, what's religious, what's not, blah blah blah. And he said this. He said, Let me tell you this between tradition, which the Bible does talk about as a good thing, and traditionalism. Tradition is this, the living faith of those who have gone on before. Traditionalism is this, the dead faith of those still here. I thought, wow, that's, I mean, when I heard him speak those words, I went, let me process that for a minute. Because sometimes I hang on to traditional, traditional things, not necessarily scriptural, godly tradition, just because it's comfortable and because I like it. And it causes me to live in a state of death. Well, anything that's just merely traditional and not actual scriptural tradition, I got to let go of. So I can move forward. I, I have to do that. I've, Patrick told me the other day, we were, we were having a conversation. He said, sometimes you can be real religious. And I said, every time I catch myself being that, it drives me crazy. Anybody like that? 
Anybody? When, it, when I see it and it comes to focus on me, I just, I'm going to go, dude, what is, why are you even doing that? Just because it's normal. Just because it's, you know, it's, you just kind of get into the rut and just go with it. And I do. We've got to forget the mechanics. You know what mechanics, you know, you know what mechanical things do? Mechanical things break down. They need maintenance. They need replaced every now and then. And if we just really go through mechanics, it's going to break down. And it's going to need tweaked. It's going to need a new paint job. And it's going to need uh, uh, an oil change. And it's going to need uh, some kind of something to help keep it going. If it's just really mechanical, that's what it needs. We're going to forget mechanics sometimes. I want, I want you guys to think in terms of, uh, of, of what, your, what, what your life is. You are all ministers. Where's that thing at? Every believer can minister. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of what, what do the people coming after you have to look look on it goes, hey, I can follow them as as as, as they followed Christ? Because we, we will for, we can forget the past if we'll think in terms of legacy and down the road. This place is to be a fort, not a fortress, but an armory, a place for equipping, a place for us to grow and get what we need so we can fight the battle. This is not just a sanctuary. This is not even to be a sanctuary. Really, we call it a sanctuary. It's supposed to be a place where we get our, where we get our buttons punched because we're around the rest community of God so we can get, get fired up, so we can go really do what real ministry is, and that's outside these doors. For all practical purposes, this is to be a, a pep rally where we get focused and get, 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 get on task for what lies ahead. This is a home to come to be refreshed. We know about home. I can't stay there very long. There's always something else for me to do. I come home to eat. I come home to sleep. I come home to love and hug on those who mean the most to me. That I go get right back to what I had to get, get, get to get done. Do you guys? Are you guys with me? It better feel like home. But we better recognize home is not a place where we just sit and camp out all day. And just hang out. All of us have work to do. We should come to eat. We should come to rest. We should come so that we can get our, our, our feet and, and hug around the people who mean the most to us. But doggone it, there's something to keep moving on and to do and accomplish for the good of the kingdom. You know, the average lifespan of a church is 70 years. The average ministry, the average church in the United States exists for, nearly, for right around 70 years average it's gonna make it okay this ministry we get to be a part of is really cool everybody say 199 that's how long a congregation of people have existed meeting on this piece of property here right here on a 180 that's pretty stinking cool and it's taking all kinds of turn, all kinds of turns. This place is not what it was 199 years ago. It's been a D- German Reformed Church. It's been a, a, a United Church of Christ. It's been it's had every kind of ministry, everything going on. But you know what? You know why it has continued to exist because it continues to grow and it continues to look forward and it continues to change with what needs to be changed and go with what needs to be gone with, so, so that things can be accomplished, so the kingdom of God can go on. That's why. If we would have, if we would continue to be doing church, we were doing it one, 199 years ago. This place would not exist. None of you would want to be here because there would be no electricity. There would be wood burners. There'd be no padded pews, huh? There'd be no, even no pavement on the parking lot, huh? Nothing. 
There'd be no running water. No sewage. Huh? There'd be no way for us to reach into India via a phone call. Huh? I mean, really, think about it. We got to keep moving forward. He goes, he goes, hey, hey, listen, I want to think about this. A church is not a building. A church is an assembly of people, an eternal body. We are a part of that body. We are not the sum total of it. The body of Christ exists all over the world. The body of Christ is huge. We get to play a role in it. The church of Jesus is ongoing. This piece of it needs to keep doing its function. Every organ in the body needs to do what it's supposed to do, and we play our part, but what, what is going on here is not the sum total of what God's doing all over the world. And God has the right to do it different here and different there and different than it, than it was 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 35 years ago or three years ago. He has the right to make that thing work the way it's supposed to work and change how, it's, how it works. The other thing Paul would say was this. He said, I'm forward locked. He said, I'm looking forward. I forget what's behind and I, I look ahead. For the next several weeks, you're going to be hearing from uh, about all, all sorts of different ministries in this church. Letting you know where each of them are looking at and what God is doing and what God wants to do and, and all of that. And I hope you lock in. I hope you hear. And I hope you don't come with just, just, just physical ears. I hope you come with spiritual ears. Starting next Monday, January 14th, we will embark on another 21 days of fasting and prayer. The prayer room at the church will be open anytime this building is open. Well, there's a, there's a schedule in there. Where's, it's in the bulletin. And I pray to Jesus you guys are looking at those things, whether you get them in the email or you pick them at the front door. Okay? Frustrates me when people say, well, I didn't know I was going to. It's been in the bulletin for three weeks. I didn't know what was going on. Well, read. Are you on the email? Open the email bulletin thing up. What? We'll be praying here on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock and doing a Bible study at 7 during that time. We'll be doing a, doing a, a worship service on Tuesday we call 3T during that time. But here's the thing. Next week, um, just like we have these two boards here right now that remind us who we're praying for and what we're supposed to, that, that we're a part of this, this mosaic, the broken pieces that God put together to do something significant in the earth, we're going to put a board out there in the, in the thing. We're gonna do, I'm going to ask you to commit to playing your part in that fast and prayer. And all I want you to do is put your name on it that you're going for 21 days. You're going to do something different so you can lock in to some, some discipline of seeking the face of God through his word, through prayer, through fasting. And, and next week we'll have books available to sign up to see if you want a, an awakening book. that we, we, we give, we, We've done them for the last three years or something. Some of you have them, some of you don't. They'll be 10 bucks. We'll have them here next week. And if we need more, we'll order more. That would be devotion and inspiration for you to keep praying and seeking the face of God because we, each of us, need to hear the heart and the voice of God. And we'll have some sort of big bash on February 3rd to close out the night and worship together again and break our fast together and enjoy life together and say, God, push us forward in whatever you want us to do. We're going to have a, we're going to have a board, something like these, where you put your name on there and you'll just kind of lightly put on there, okay, I'm fasting every third day all day long. Or I'm fasting lunch every day. Or I'm giving up the Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. 
Because I'm going to take whatever time I was doing, doing that kind of crazy stuff, I'm going to lock in so I can hear the voice of Jesus. There's a card out there at the information right now. Just to remind you of what it takes to have a devotional life. It takes scripture, it is observation of scripture, application of scripture, and prayer. Just a little postcard, just that big. Looks like a book open. Grab that and put that in your Bible so when you're doing that, you can remember what, what, what those things you need to lock in on. Third things we're looking forward to. We'll be, we'll, I've asked our, our, our board, we meet tomorrow night. We're going, to find, we're going to locate a couple other board members to help us get a well-rounded view and, and figure out where, where God wants this thing to go. We're thinking about, we have to think about who's going to fill in the children's ministry gap because she's only going to be here temporarily. And she, we had a great time with the overnighter. We had such a good time, I got sick after it was over. Knocked me to the ground. Didn't get up till 4 o'clock last Sunday afternoon. Fever and head and all kinds of craziness. Still don't feel 100%. We're going to try and, we're, 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 we're opening up more groups. Next week, Larry and Carol will open their group at their house in Circleville on Edwards, Edwards Drive, right? 6.30, next Thursday night. We're going to keep looking forward. we got a couple others maybe waiting in their wings that we'll get up and running. I'd like to do something here called Multiply. And what I, it's going to change probably how we do some things because, you know what, it's every one of our responsibilities to make sure disciples get made. We put when disciples sins on everything around here, but if I could boil it down to one statement, one, one sentence, all of our responsibilities are this, to help people around us, anybody at whatever age of life they're in, saved, unsaved, whatever, to become more fully devoted followers of Christ. That is the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. And that's not just my job, that's all of our jobs. And we may invoke, begin a program this month. I don't know if I even call it a program. I hate to call it a program because a program sounds like it's like very, I'm going to put some things in your hands where you can take a brother that you know or a sister or a cousin or a, or a neighbor who's, who may be following Christ, maybe not following Christ, and sit down together once a week and just do life together and follow Jesus together and grow together. Maybe they'll come to Christ, but they already know Christ. I hope that happens. I want us to have greater influence in our community. And what we're sending Jeanette to do, I hope, creates that. I hope churches come together. We're going to be joining maybe with some other churches over the Lenten season between now and Easter to do some services together. We're a part of Hope Clinic and some other things that directly align us with the rest of the body of Christ to do work that changes the community around us. And I hope that continues. I hope we're a catalyst for those kinds of things. I hope instead of church triumphant everywhere, that whenever there's a community thing going on and the church in the name of Jesus is going to be propagated, they find us helping and working and doing and proclaiming and worshiping and singing and speaking and giving and whatever else. I hope, I hope a lot of us think about just being real practical about Scripture. Things like... Adoption and foster care. I'd like for us to be the church that goes to that goes to job and family service and says, dude, we got eight families right now to take kids off your hands. Help us train them, help us teach them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because that seems one. That's a very practical application of scripture right there, man. I like this to be the ones who help other ministries and churches get started. In the last few months, we, we've purposely set aside a certain percentage of income to come to this church just for the purpose of planting new churches. Ever since, what was it, May? I don't remember when it was. 
We're doing that. Why do we do that? Because of verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I like how he said that. I'm pressing on. Like, i got to make a decision. But it's, it's where God's calling all of us. I'm pressing on to reach the end of the race, to receive the prize. God's calling all of us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, he says, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must own the progress we've already made. Verse 17 says, pattern your life after mine and learn from those who follow our example. The why, we've said the what. We've got to press, got to move forward, got to be a church that's in the middle of everything that God wants us to do. Changing lives, helping people grow in the things of God. The what? Press. The how? Forget. Lock in. Focus. Look forward. Why? The reward. The heavenly prize. That's the only reason for doing anything. Why would we, if we believe there's an eternal something waiting for us, why would we do anything in our lives that either takes away from or keeps us from that? Why? Why, 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 why? If we are eternal beings, why would we allow ourselves to be consumed by stuff that are not, things that are not eternal? We all need to keep growing. You know what, you know what Paul said there? He said, all those, let all those who are mature agree on these things. You know what Paul's saying? If, you, if, if, if something of what I'm saying about this scripture is eating at you, you know what that tells me? You're probably not mature. Is a pastor allowed to say that? Probably not. Well, you know, who's he to tell me what I'm going to do? Well, you know what? I'm not telling you. Again, it's this thing called the Bible. And maybe you, you need to have it kick you in the butt. Can a pastor say that? This one did. Maybe you need that. And if you want to be what God wants you to be, we can't be in a state of non-growth. Spiritual growth is not an option for those who really call, who, who, who have embraced salvation. Those who just want to be religious, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can do that. You can just sit and exist. I'm not sure you're saved. Can I say that? Take that for what it's worth. Because what I know about the lives that were, that were changed in the Bible, they started going with Jesus, and they, 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 they just kept running ahead. Peter, James, they have, they have mess-ups. Yeah, Paul did, Peter did, all of them did. But if you look at the trajectory of their life, they never, they never, they never stopped looking towards Christ. They never stopped trying to figure out how to grow with him. They never stopped doing that. He said, we've got to progress. Let's hold on to the progress we've already made. Let us not, let's not try and let anything take us backwards. He said, he said follow my pattern. You know what Paul's pattern was? He preached the gospel. He won the lost. He discipled the one. He sent the disciple. He didn't stay in one place very long. He never stayed doing the same thing in the same way in the same place all the time. He just kept, man, he was just all over the place. He said, you, you who are mature should follow my example. He was ever looking forward. What's the next place? What's the next thing? What's God wanting to do? How do I get there? How do I become a part of that? He was always doing that. What are we, what are we doing? There's, there's a warning attached to this. Boy, it's tough too, man. For I've told you often before and say again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about life that's here on earth. 
He goes, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. There's a warning for those who are selfish and carnal. They think only of themselves, their own appetite, and they brag about shameful stuff, he says. And he says, and they're worldly. Their thoughts are only on this life. There's a lot about this life to get angry about and get frustrated about. There's a lot about this life to get discouraged about and uptight about. But if my focus is on what's going on here and my focus is not what's going on eternally, that's no wonder I'm there. And he says, that should not be our focus. Our focus should be on the kingdom. Every, the, the scriptures plainly say in Hebrews, everything that can shake is going to. So the only things that cannot shake will remain. And the only things that cannot shake are eternal things. But there's a promise. He gives us a promise in the middle of that. He said, Jesus is coming. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to reign, return as our Savior. And he will take our weak mortal bodies and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power of which he will bring everything under his control. Everything will be made right. So when you are looking at the future of, of your life and looking at the future of this church, know one thing. We have one thing in mind. Expediting the coming of Jesus. And when he shows up being faithful to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with people and to disciple people and to help people, that's the one thing we're concerned about doing. That means we have to change things at times. That means things have to be altered. That means things have to be different at times for us to do that. Colossians 1.28 says like this, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The New New Century Version reads like this, so we continue to preach that. Here's some things I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to shake out. I don't know how the economy's going to go. I don't know what good or bad decisions I or any of the rest of us are going to make at this moment that will hinder the process. I don't know that. I don't know some things. Our mission's not done. I don't know. I know I have not. I know I have not become all that God wants me to be. I'm pretty sure you're probably there too. I know this. This ministry here hasn't reached as far as He wants it to. I know that too many of our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, our family members are still yet without a thriving, growing relationship with Jesus. I know that. And I probably haven't done all I could do to help them, and you haven't either. What do I expect? I expect when people to come to Christ. I expect more people to go into what God has for them. I expect to be one that send them. I can't guarantee that this ministry will look what it looked like in five years. I can't guarantee what any of you will be doing in that point in time. I can't guarantee where you will be. I can't guarantee how you will function. I can't guarantee we'll allow you to sit in the same place you've been sitting for the last five. But there are some things I can guarantee. I, I, I can guarantee that we will continue to worship the one true king. I can guarantee we will proclaim only the truth. I will guarantee we, only, we will point people to the only true way. 
And I will guarantee that we will disciple the lives that God entrusts to our care. That's what I will guarantee. I will not guarantee that, 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 that it'll be easy for all of us or any of us. And I will guarantee that we will continue to send out people to do work for the good of the kingdom. We'll keep doing that over and over and over again. That's the mark he set for us. In light of that, we're going to keep looking forward. And in light of that, those guarantees and those words and how we ought to keep focusing, I'm going to ask.